The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Foot First Podiatry. Painful bunions, then it's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive Sklar Bunionectomy. No scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding. For more information about the Sklar Bunionectomy, visit footfirst.com. And by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Everybody and welcome into the Sportscaster and her son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago for 17 years. I'm the baby boomer. And my name is Jason Canander. I still, to this day, do not really know what generation I'm in, but I'm a rising... I think I'm Generation Z, actually, yeah. Um, Anyway, I'm a rising sophomore at UT Austin. Down there, I participate in student television, also write for College Basketball Review, and yeah. Jason, so we, last time we chatted, we chatted about Justin Fields of the Bears, and how excited everybody is about his potential. And now we are in summer mode for Chicago. And oh my gosh, Chicago baseball might be one of the best stories. Yeah, first off, I just wanted to say the last time we actually chatted, I think we were talking about my birthday tomorrow and (laughs) you were trying to limit the amount of people I can have over to celebrate with me. Anyway, that's a conversation for the dinner table. Stop. Chicago baseball. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What a fun time. Actually, as a matter of fact, right when we got down here, it was just after the White Sox walked off the Tampa Bay Rays Mm -hmm. to claim the best record in all of baseball. It was not at all a pretty win, but that's what the White Sox do. And, you know, it's really easy for me to focus on the White Sox because this is literally the best team that they have had in my time watching baseball and probably hold on what they end up finishing the season at and do in the playoffs. But this team has the potential to be the best team of my lifetime, even better than 2005. And not to mention that the Cubs have been incredible. Both teams have been putting up massive numbers, win streaks, beating good teams, absolutely just beating the life out of the bad teams, despite missing a lot of their key production. The Cubs still have an abysmal starting rotation, but have been able to make things work with a great bullpen, a lineup with guys like Patrick Wisdom, a career journeyman, Sergio Sergio Alcantara, who hit like a buck 30 with the Tigers last year. Both teams, frankly, have had incredible, incredible seasons. Which is what you need to have one of those special seasons. You need to have like things go your way. Guys have career years. Um, everybody steps up. How come the rest of the country isn't talking about Chicago baseball? Well, the rest of the country isn't talking about Chicago baseball for two reasons. Number one, this Cubs team is not at all like the Cubs team that won the World Series in 2016 and made three, or was it four consecutive, three consecutive national championship series appearances. Um, This team does not have nearly the star power, especially in the rotation, but... Wait, they don't have the star power with, with... Anthony Rizzo, who's been just okay this Javi year. Chris Baez, Bryant has Chris been Bryant Chris has Bryant has been excellent. Great season. Javi Baez has had his moments, but the Cubs have been able to win ugly, which they're, is incredible. Yeah, they're winning with 
the non-stars. They're winning with yeah. what they have, which yeah. has been the definition of Chicago baseball thus far. If you were to have told me that the White Sox would be sitting here with the best record in baseball without any at-bats from Aloy Jimenez, Madrigal done for the year, Robert has been out for most of the year and won't be back until August at the very earliest, I... I would have said that you're lying, and same thing with the Cubs. If you would have told me that this Cubs team would be, what are they, 10 games over 500 right now, I would have said you're crazy. With with their lack of pitching, the bullpen for the Cubs has been incredible, has been absolutely incredible, truly the best bullpen in baseball, lots of fun to watch. David Ross has been able to mix and match their guys in the later innings, and Craig Kimbrell has quite honestly been the best closer wow. in baseball, maybe second only to Liam Hendricks just a couple miles away on the south side. Isn't it crazy after seeing Kimbrel last year when you thought this guy lost it? Like the, he's lost it. This guy yeah. will never be the guy that they thought. I don't know how he found it back, but that, that's a pretty, pretty impressive, uh, I don't know, resurrection of yeah. your career. It's pretty amazing. So then go to the South side. So you can't say that the the south side um oh yeah this is a bunch of no names and everything although you know they've had so many injuries yes i get it but they were expected they were expected to compete and yet jason they're constantly flirting with the best record in the american league and every time i get do you get the mlb news on your email yes all right so you know how the mlb sends you the updates and the the like the headlines they are almost never the headline ever almost never Cubs will be in there. Yep. Sox never, you know, uh, Mercedes was the headline in April. Never now. And I'm like, I, don't they keep flirting with the top record in baseball? Never. Every morning I get up, I get my MLB.com email with the headlines of the night before. Nothing. It's Yankees. It's who have uh, been bad Dodgers. this year. Who have been it's, just okay. You know, like I want to say MLB, like when I worked at ESPN in Bristol, they used to get upset with us because we would complain coming from Chicago that they had such an East Coast bias, that they always paid attention to the East Coast teams. I got to tell you, I, I like everyone at the MLB offices, get out of Manhattan and start looking around the country outside of LA and New York Guess what? There's some incredible baseball being played in Chicago. Well, you know, to that point, it it's not even just like the daily headlines. It's the exposure that some of the players have been getting or lack thereof. Jacob deGrom for the Mets, East Coast, has had probably the best 10 game start to the season out of any pitcher ever. Garrett Cole has also had a good start. But look at the guys that aren't getting attention. Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon, both with sub-two ERAs, both the number one and number two front runners for the American League Cy Young Award, but you would really only know that if you lived in Chicago and if you watched the White Sox, right. which is absolutely incredible to me, the lack of exposure that this team continually gets, and I honestly don't know what it's going to take for this team to be recognized by the national media or by the national audience, but I will say this, I... I'm okay with with the White Sox continuing uh, continually being the second city team because they keep winning. If they're going to keep winning, it's okay. I'll take it. I don't need the nationally televised games. I don't need primetime games. I don't need to see the White Sox on MLB's Instagram or their Twitter or on SportsCenter in the morning. I don't need it. I just want to see wins. Once 
October comes and the White Sox are going to continue to do their thing. They're going to be fully healthy. They're going to run over everyone in the playoffs. And the Cubs, if they decide to buy at the deadline, will certainly be in the playoffs too. It's going to, everybody's going to be in a flux. Everyone outside of Chicago is going to be so confused. Where are these two teams coming from? Newsflash, these two teams have been here all freaking season and they will only continue to make waves. At least the White Sox, the Cubs still have no idea what they're doing at the deadline. But if they keep the current roster and only add to it, it's going to be not just a fun summer in Chicago, but also a pretty fun fall. You know, we used to talk about that with football. Better to fly under the radar than to be the team that everyone's talking about all year. Like, just sneak up on them. Like, it's okay if the rest of the country doesn't know about Chicago baseball, but honestly, it does drive me crazy because <laughs> there's like a lack of respect. That's what bothers me. Oh, absolutely. It's it's the lack of respect. But, you know, that's okay. You know, as athletes, they would tell you that they would rather fly under the radar and sneak up on, on teams. It's it's What's going to happen is you're going to see teams, you're going to see the networks. You're going to see the networks actually start uh, not talking about the Yankees and the Mets as much in July when they realize that it's the Cubs and the White Sox that are making noise. So I love it. I love it. It's great. It's summer baseball in Chicago, and it's open. Chicago's finally open. We love it. So, Jason, here's the thing we were going to do. So how about in this episode, we've done this in the past when you were at school and not really available, and I, 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 you know, I wanted to do a podcast, so we would phone a friend. So I was thinking, why don't we just do this episode? Like, we've talked our baseball. We got it out. Okay, Let's just phone a friend. It's the summertime. This is chill. This is when you hang out. So would you mind if I just phoned a friend of mine? No, I wouldn't mind at all, Mom. Okay, so I'm going to reach into my contacts. And do you know who Mark Greco is? No, I was born yesterday. Okay, well, Mark Greco is a friend, a competitor, <laughs> uh, the number one station in Chicago for news um, at the time, not for long, uh, ABC7. He recently ended his 27-year run as the top TV sports anchor in Chicago, highest-paid highest local sports anchor in the country. So um, let's give him a call. Let's do it. All right, Jason. So um, I have a story I have to tell you that you probably don't remember, but... Uh, when you were young, like baby young, um, I, I started at NBC in Chicago. I found out I was pregnant with you and your twin brother. Was this before or after the short hair? It was 9-11. Oh, that's a dick thing to say. <laughs> that's a really dick thing to say before the short hair. I was pregnant with twins, okay? I was like a mammoth house, all right? And, um, and, and, and I would come home from work, and these were like the Lovey Smith Bears days, right? And, um, and, and Dad would say, uh, oh, my God, did you see what happened at the Bears today? <laughs> and I'd say, well, yeah, like, that was my question. That's, I'm the one who asked that question in the, in the gangbang. I'm the one who, like, asked Lovey about this or that. And he'd go, oh, yeah, Gene Greco just had it on, on Channel 7. And i go, dude, you're my husband. You're supposed to be watching Channel 5, <laughs> and yet you're watching Channel 7. Like, I can't get away from it. I love the guy. 
Um, I've known him since he was at Channel 5, and I was just this little intern trying to break into into the business. So let's bring in Mark Giangreco, legendary sports anchor here in Chicago, um, who is joining us now on the Sportscaster and her son. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hey, Peggy, Jason. It's great to be on. Hey, listen, I always just stole the best soundbite. I don't care who asked the question. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I love your husband so much, uh, at the time, he was watching the correct station, but now I'd be happy if he watched Channel 5 religiously. I have hey, to listen. tell you. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just want to say one thing about you and Jason. If my mom and I did a show, <laughs> like if they had podcasts when my mother was alive and we did a show together, we would have been arrested after the first one because you think I never had an unspoken thought? You think... I had too many suspensions. My mom got kicked out of two high schools. Come on. She had her own radio show in college and high school, political show. She was also twice the athlete I was, a three-sport athlete in high school, played in college, was a 200-average bowler, a 12-handicap golfer, used to warm me up with overhand curveballs for Little League. Uh, She was tough as nails. She was like Babe Zaharias. Um, She... We always said, uh, you know, mom was way ahead of her time because she couldn't wait for everybody to catch up. So oh, I think that uh, my God. I, I just wish she was around to join you and you guys would crush it on a podcast. Oh, my. I, you know, Mark, I was going to ask you, I wanted to get into your whole, you know, we could sit there and say, who's the best interview and all that kind of stuff. But for someone who. You know, that was one of my questions. A, a le- well, yes, Jason, that's what you learn. Like the, you learn not Jeez, to ask. Mom, you, yeah. you learn not to ask those questions. But you know what, Mark? Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was growing up in Buffalo, New York. Now, I only know a couple of people from Buffalo, and um, Patrick Kane being one of them here with the Chicago mm-hmm. Blackhawks, and there's like a grit to Buffalo people. So tell me. Tell me about growing up in Buffalo. What was it like? What like how do you describe, you know, people in Buffalo? I'll tell you what it was like exactly growing up in Chicago. Absolutely the same. The greatest compliment I've ever gotten from a viewer, a listener, or anybody on the street is you're from here, right? What parish are you from? What parish? And yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because it's the same ethnic mix of people. You're either Irish, uh, Italian, or Polish. Everybody was Catholic, uh, same ethnic mix, same blue collar attitude, uh, worse weather, of course, tons more snow, but similar weather. I mean, it was a Great Lakes thing, Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago, Buffalo. We all have the same accent. I mean, upstate New York, we hate New York City, Long Island, and New Jersey. We have nothing in common with them. It's kind of like Chicagoland and Southern Illinois. It should mm-hmm. be two separate states. So. It's exactly the same. That's why I had this incredible, incredible desire to be in Chicago. It was always like this mystical place for me. I used to listen to music radio, WLS, Super CFL, The Voice yes. of Labor. Larry Lujak was my idol. John Records, Landecker, Dick Biondi. Dick Biondi, by the way, was at WKBW in Buffalo when I was seven years old. I used to listen to him. And he would come in my office at Channel 7, make coffee, and sit down and talk to me when he was working in the building at LS. Come on. I mean, on. some people are blown away by mega superstars and, you know, actresses, celebrities, actors of, 
you know, five-star quality. These are the kind of guys I looked up to. So I'm eight years old with my little radio in bed, and you can get the radio signals from all major markets at night when they change the signal pattern. And I wanted to be a top 40 rock jock in Chicago. That's all I ever wanted to do. And then, you know, you play sports and you get in the media and one thing leads to the other. And so I was doing news and sports and then um, got to do full-time television, which I just kind of fell into. But Buffalo is extremely gritty. You know, we live and die with the Bills. Uh, Same with the Sabres. And they should be relegated to the AHL at this point. (laughs) They are so awful. But, you know, the Sabres came in in 1969. The next year I was off to college. So uh, actually 1970 was my senior year in high school. Then I was off to college. So they came in in the 69-70 season, and I was pretty much, you know, gone. But the Buffalo Bills, I've been a diehard fan since 1960. And when I show up at Soldier Field for the preseason game in August, I'll be wearing all my Bill stuff cheering for Mitch Trubisky. You know, and people will be, they'll be throwing stuff at me, but hey, I'm a casual civilian fan now. So really, I mean, Buffalo, look at my dad was 100% Sicilian. My mom, half Irish, half German. Uh, We lived in the suburbs, but I went to high school in the city. Just Jason, you went to St. Ignatius, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, were you living in Itasca the whole time? Yes, I was. Okay, so... (laughs) That was like I grew up in a suburb way, way out to where it was an hour, hour and a half bus ride to downtown Buffalo to Canisius High School, which was all Jesuits, all boys prep school. So you had the same experience. We did all our homework on the bus. That's what he did. Yeah. Hey, I'll trade you the Latin for the math. You know, that's basically what it was. So that's the experience I had living in the Burrs because my dad was like, we're going to be American. We're going to be suburban. You know, I'm not going to teach how to speak Italian, which I really regret. I wish I wish he yeah. would have. But I also had half my life in the city. And you could always tell the city kid from the suburban kid. Suburban kid, we had like five or six sport coats, and we really dressed sharp. You had to wear a suit and tie every single day. Uh, the city guys wore the same leather jacket for four years, had the same tie and sport coat hanging in their locker. And they were tough as nails, and you could tell the difference. So... We toughened up by mixing it up with the city guys. And, I mean, that was the best education you could ever have. God, that's amazing. You know, when I uh, when I was at ESPN, I was a, a production assistant, worked my way up to an associate producer, wanted to mm-hmm. come home. I wanted to be on air, but I knew I had to you know, kind of make my way. So I stopped in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, did one night in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, never got paid for that. And then I, <laughs> I got in my car and drove through a snowstorm and listened to the score radio. And it was like this, this driving force, like, this is what I want. This is what I want. Keep driving. Keep driving. You're going home. You're going to get something. Something's going to happen. And I would listen to these guys. Now, I was an adult at that point, but when yeah. I was growing up, it was Al Lerner at Channel 7. It was uh, Tim Weigel at Channel uh, 7 at the, at, at the time as well. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, TV in the 60s and 70s was... Black and white. Jason, it's not just black and white, but it was hey, it listen. was a routine. It was you sat yeah. down, your parents watched TV, you watched the news every single night. It's not like that anymore. Television. No, and it's not like television. that. So what was it now, for you? 
What was that like for you, Mark? Because for me, that was exactly, I was like, that is it. That's what I want to do. Well, that's exactly the way I grew up. And Jason, I'm old enough to remember when we got our first color TV and it was black and white for my first, oh, I'd say seven or eight years. And then it was like 1959. I, I just remember them bringing it in and hooking it up. And my mom and dad were so excited. We lived in this tiny little house. And <laughs> uh, the NBC Peacock came on. And the, the next, you know, the following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. And I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. So that was my experience. But again, like I said, I just wanted to be in radio. And then I was approached when I was working in Dayton, Ohio. I got a job, well, sophomore year in college, doing the news and sports overnight on a top 40 rock station. But I was in the news department. And um, then I went on to Louisville, Kentucky, where that was my first full-time television job. Because in Dayton, I was doing overnights, five nights a week. And then I would fill in for the sports guy on Channel 2 WDTN which was NBC at the time. Um, so I'd be working radio from seven at night till three o'clock in the morning. And then I would be doing the five, six and 11 mm. on TV. So you get just a couple hours of sleep, but oh. there was one year I worked 365 days without a day off and I loved it. I was obsessed with it and it was my whole life. So, but television, I just, somebody approached me and said, Hey, why don't you try out audition for TV? I went I was so scared. I had no idea what was going on, but I tried to act like I did. So the floor director said, do you need a teleprompter for this audition? I go, no, because I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what he was talking about. So they hired me in spite of the fact that all you saw was the top of my head, just bobbing up and down trying to read the script. Oh, my God. But, you know, you meet a lot of great mentors along the way, and you take a little piece from everybody just like an athlete does coming up. And that was the most fun. When it was going from small market to little bigger market. And then when it came to Chicago, oh my God, I walked into the merchandise mart for my job interview yep. and all the buttons on the elevator were, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. They went to one through like 30 or whatever. But the floor NBC was on was a peacock. Mm -hmm. Didn't have a number. And I'm like, wow, this is big time. And I stayed in the Holiday Inn Mart Plaza across the street. And when I watched, all the newscasts. And then I read the papers where Chet Kopic, Tim Weigel, and um, who's the third? Was it? Chet Kopic, Tim Weigel, Johnny Morris. Johnny Morris. Johnny yeah, Morris. The three of them would be ripping one another in the paper. <laughs> Just this spitting contest every day. And I'm like, wow, I better get ready for this. I need to strap in. So I was able to sit in the wings and watch Chet. And again, I, I said this at, at Kopic's funeral. He could have thrown me under the bus by ignoring me or, you know, being jealous or whatever or being guarded. And he protected me against the rough, tough Chicago competition. And I'll never forget that. So it's more fun coming up. And then once you're established, it's like, well, how can I make this better? And unfortunately, I tell this to every young person in or just coming out of college that wants to get into business. You need to work for a professional team, a pro league, a D1 university, where they all have their own media outlets. You work for a website, you're a blogger, you're a contributor, because doing what I did for 40 years is really obsolete now. Yep. It really is. Yes. Local television news. Look at I, this is not sour grapes because I'm not doing it anymore. 
It's just a fact. Local television news is an antiquated, outdated media platform. Yes. And um, you saw the ratings in May. There are five stations vying for 200,000 viewers. We Shocking. used to vie for 3 million. Shocking. And 200 viewers separates the number one and number two station. Yeah. Uh, with a 1.3 rating, that wins. When I was at Channel 5 and we were battling it out with Channel 7, whoever was number one would get a 17 or a 17.2 rating. And one rating point is 33,000 households. Right. So you go from that to the table scraps they're fighting for now. And you know, you and I both have lots of friends who are still in the business, and I hope they can hang on for a few more years. But these these places are going to be car washes pretty soon. Back to our conversation in a minute. But first, have you ever dealt with bunions? I have. It got to the point that I couldn't even wear any shoes without having shooting pain. Even at night, I couldn't even pull the covers over my foot. It hurt so bad. It didn't matter if I was wearing slippers or boots, gym shoes working out, or heels for a night out. The pain was intolerable. I finally decided to do something about it. That's when I heard about Foot First Podiatry and their exclusive procedure, the Sklar Bunionectomy. It has you on your feet the day after surgery. Are you kidding? Well, I had to see it to believe it. And you know what? They were right. Surgery was easy. I am so glad I did it. I walked out of surgery in a boot, no cast, no crutches, walking the same day. And you can be back in a gym shoe in two weeks. When I look at my foot now, there's no visual scar. And best of all, I am pain-free. So ladies and guys, don't walk around in pain like I did for years. Visit footfirst.com. I have to tell you something. When you said walking into the Merchandise Mart, I interned Mm -hmm. at the Merchandise Mart. I told this story before that um, when I went to interview for my internship and my number one option was sports and uh, Hank Siegel in the Channel 5 Sports Department, you guys had, was there something, did someone get fired or someone left or something? Because there was outside the door, there was like 25 days and counting, 28 days and counting, 40 days and counting. They, They always had this, like somebody left and NBC waited before they they filled the position or something. Ooh, wow. I, I can't remember who it was. It was the guy from Boston or he went to Boston or something. Um, anyways, so I, I, I had so management wasn't too thrilled with the countdown. Yeah, they weren't too thrilled. And I, re, I remember going into interview and, um, it, you know, they pulled out the whole, I've told this story so many times. They pulled out this, the, the whole, uh, trivial pursuit, orange cards. And I couldn't answer any of the questions. I was so pissed yeah. off. I was like, <laughs> God bless it. You know, sorry, I don't know anything about the Red Sox, blah, blah, blah. But, um, what I do remember when you said walking into the merchandise mart mark i told people i was hooked the day i walked into the merchandise mart it was this majestic building it was grand it was large it was big it was bustling with people It, it was you know you see the skyline of chicago behind it and i thought Oh my gosh! I this is it. This is it. That's if I can exactly, stay here, right? Yep. It was That's exactly how I felt. And Jason, once oh. again, this would have been a great black and white movie, like a New York City in the 1940s. That's what the merchandise mart looked like inside: columns, marble, gold, you know, trim everywhere, and the old style elevators. And it was just 
it was big time, big city. And I remember Marianne Childers was working at Channel 7 at the time, for, but for whatever reason, she was at the merchandise mart because, you know, it was furniture and all kinds of things on the other floors. She walked out of the elevator after I had been there about a week, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Marianne Childers. It's like, I'm not worthy to be working at this level. You know, I better get my stuff together. So, yeah, that was the thing because, you know, Hollywood had all its – celebrities but chicago all the television news people were the big celebrities mm -hmm. i've been sitting on yeah. my hands for like 15 minutes waiting to ask this one question um yeah it's kind of a two-part question well really just two questions that are been sticking in my mind that i really want to ask so the first part would be i was going to originally i was going to ask you um after doing my um, obligatory research and seeing that you were at WMAQ, I knew that that was where yeah. my mom had started. So I was going to ask if you were there at the same time as my mom, but now I understand that she was an intern while you were there. So tell me a little bit about what my mom was like back at the very start of her career. And then after that, I want to know what the adjustment is like obviously from a small market to a big market and how you're able to keep that mentality of having fun with it, being optimistic, just enjoying going to work every single day when all anyone seems to focus on are the people that have the biggest jobs in sports media. I, you know, okay, for, do you even all, remember me? a two-part question, okay? <laughs> Mark, do you even... I'm going to mute you in a second, Mom. Do, Mark, do you even remember me when I was there? As, yes. You do? I do. Okay. I do, Peggy, because you're interning in another department, but yes. you came in, and we would have you log some games in a pinch. And, Jason, here's the thing about your mom. She was a badass from day one. Like, oh, I back know. then, back then, okay, a lot of women were even more intimidated by a situation like that than men because it was always a good old boys club. And Peggy just had sort of that aura about her like, you know what? I'm a pretty tough chick and don't look at me cross-eyed or you're going to pay for it seriously. And she knew her stuff and there was just something about her. It's like, you know what? We ought to talk or something. So I was doing sports on the loop on Kevin Matthews show in the morning um, for a year from my house, but I was also doing the five, six and 10 o'clock news. And I had to be up to go on the air with Kevin at four 30 in the morning and he'd say, oh, you just have to do two sports casts. Well, he included me in every bit, every interview, everything he ever did. So I'm on from 4.30 to 8.30. And then, you know, not being able to go back to sleep, jacked up on coffee. I have to go downtown and work all day and night again. So after a year, I'm like, I can't do this anymore as much as I love it. And I recommended Peggy. So I'm taking credit for Peggy's first big job <laughs> at the loop. But there was always something about her where... You know, she was just real cool and really tough. I think tough is the best way to describe it. And she's just like no nonsense. She would ask questions, but she already knew most of the answers. And, you know, nobody just kissed her off as ah, it's just some kid. Let me just say yeah. right now, that is so ironic because that is exactly how my mom parents ask questions <laughs> that she already knows the answer to. Give, don't look at her cross-eyed because she's not going to take any of your BS. And she is right. one badass woman. It, this is exactly how my mom parents. It all is coming full circle to me right now. So continue. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Jason, <laughs> I'm so sorry, man. That's kind of a tough way to grow up. But, hey, no nonsense. Hey, my mother and your mom were probably – they would have got along great. My mom used to say, if you don't have a game plan, I'm going to make one for you. And – 
you know, you never want to disappoint my mom. My dad was a workaholic, yep. grinder, yep. bad mood when he came home every night. It's like, oh, God, look out, Dad's home. Be quiet. But you never want to dis- disappoint mom because she made five lunches every morning. She cleaned the house top to bottom. She had her station wagon, ran every kid to every practice to every event. <laughs> but she got to the point where <laughs> she actually – put my two sisters in a cab and sent them to brownies, you know, which was, Come on. Lower, you know, lower than Girl Scouts. When you're five or six years old, you can be in the brownies and then you graduate to the Girl Scouts. She put them in a cab and gave them five bucks. Oh. I mean, it's like, fend for yourself. Hey, listen, I'm busy. You know, you got to take responsibility here. So we learned to be street smart from our mom, not because she was negligent, but just because she was teaching us, like, this is how it works. This is how you call a cab. This is how you pay the cab driver. Have your head on a swivel. There were no cell phones. She would make sure you knew where a payphone was if you were out. Yeah. And if you're on your bike, the only rule was be home before the streetlights go on. And you better call me if you're not. Oh, my God. And we never wanted, yeah, we never wanted to disappoint my mom ever. I, we were afraid of my dad, but we didn't want to disappoint my mom. You are blowing my mind right now. My mom <laughs> was Irish and German. Uh, my mom would do the same thing. You had to be home before the streetlights went on. But at the same time, she would rather us learn how to be street smart. So she would, no, she never put us in a cab in brownies. (laughs) But uh, I would go play basketball and I'd say, I was an all-city basketball player in Chicago. And I'd say, mom, you know, I met some friends from Marshall High School. We're going to go hang out with them. And she'd be like, whoa, wait a second. Okay, you're going to go to the west side of Chicago. You're going to take the bus. Okay, let's just plan this out before you do it. I'm not going to say no because I'd rather you actually get the experience. So she was very much about being street smart. But Mm -hmm. my mom did not want me to be a career woman, which is crazy because she, my mom was, yes, my mom was the athlete. My mom played six on six basketball. My mom was the White Sox fan. Uh, My dad was, you know, he was a workaholic. He worked four or five jobs. You know, we saw him on the weekends and yes, but yet when I wanted to become a career woman, my mom would be like, oh, you know, those women are typically divorced, you know, their marriages don't last. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that wow. was where it got a little tough with my mom. But yeah. We you... used to ask my mom if she was a lesbian. She was such a great athlete. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, Mom, it's okay. We're adults now. But, oh, my you know, God. So... That's a 1960s joke. Listen, I know that Jason's rolling his eyes right now. Let me ask the second part of that question. Oh, that's right, it. yeah. Um Going from a small market, Dayton, Ohio, to a medium market, Louisville, Kentucky, I was scared to death because that was a big step up. Uh, and then going from Louisville to Chicago was, oh, my God, this is, a, you know, warp speed, snap your head, go into the big time. Um, yeah, I was terrified at first, but once I got through each first show, it was amazing. The first show I did in each market, for whatever reason, it went off great. And I was terrified. I was sweating. I was shaking. But on the air, I got through it. Not only got through it, it really came out great. And I was shocked that I did that well. But I was just fighting the fear inside me. So once I established that first show, everybody's like, okay, all right, he's cool. All right, he deserves the gig. But, Jason, if I could say one thing, it's homework, homework, homework. You can't fake it. Yeah. You've got to do your research. And the other thing is, 
You can't fake it in the sense of you can't put on some TV persona. And back then it used to be you got to do the big voice and you've got to write in a way you don't really speak. So you want to use correct grammar, but just write the way uh, and deliver the way you would speak to somebody normally. You have to be yourself. So you sell yourself. And I was really serious about everything I did in Dayton and Louisville. But when I came to Chicago, I had enough confidence to where I was loosening up and then I could actually show my true personality. And I just didn't take anything seriously. Let me put it this way. I was super serious about making it look like I didn't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make a joke and I wanted to make fun of everything. And I'm a sarcastic, you know, person anyway, really jaded, cynical person. (laughs) And so after a while, you know, the suspensions kept piling up, but they kept re-signing me, you know, um, and I had a great career until kind of the uh, culture that's established today sort of ended my uh, run a little prematurely. But I got to tell you, I'm glad I'm out. I had a tremendous career. And I look back on all the fun we used to have. Peggy, you and I, oh. when we sit in the press box, oh. we would laugh so hard that it would oh. be like we were in class. Yes. And, and the teacher would come in, which would be the media person, the PR person for the team. And they're like, you guys got to keep it down. Seriously, stop it. Yes. <laughs> And that's the kind of stuff because we spent half our lives standing in a hallway waiting for a locker room door to open or waiting for somebody to show up at a news conference. And it just got silly and stupid. And those are the times that I really relish sitting in a dugout yep. telling stories and that everybody went and did their live shots and got their sound bites. And we were all very competitive and, you know, it was a little pushing and shoving. But the best part was when we were just sort of laughing at ourselves and laughing at the job that we have. It's like, you believe this is what we do. I know. It was crazy. It was crazy. You know, one of the things, it's changed so much. Um, people still ask me now, and I've been retired now for four years, and, you wow. know, people people are, oh, do you miss it? Would you go back? You know, no, I don't think I would go back right now because the rules have changed. It's not the yep. same. But talk about the way the media has changed in covering sports. Um worked to my benefit to be honest with you because when we started going live from locker rooms like Blackhawks uh during the Stanley Cup it I'll never forget my producer and I talking about it we're like hey we have an idea like no one's told us we can't do this so let's do it we started doing it and I'll never forget you one of your your photographers Dwight Payne says to me Peggy Peggy you guys you guys are making everyone this is crazy like now now we're all trying to figure out how we can do this how we can do this and now they're all yeah. they're all pissed off because it's always Peggy's questions. And I'm like, well, dude, like, listen up, because I, like we got in here, we got in here first. We learned how to do it. We're this was going to be our playground, and we made everybody else catch up to us. It was that was the goal. It, that was the goal for everybody to oh, outdo everybody else. And it, it changed uh, it, you everything. You said it perfectly. It changed you said everything. It perfectly. Just. If it's never been done, yep. try it. Apologize yep. later. Just do it. Push the envelope. And then they would make rules based on how many things we did that they didn't think we should have done. Exactly. We broke every rule. Then they would make a rule saying you can't do that. Then we break <laughs> a, another rule. It's like, oh, shit. But you got to do this. So that's exactly how we operate. Remember uh, Michael's first retirement yeah. news conference? Yep. I asked the first question. And then nobody asked the question. So I asked like the first four questions. Reinsdorf leans over to Michael, but the microphone is right there. He puts his hand over his mouth, but you could, the whole world could hear him say, 
take some questions from somebody else besides Jane Greco. <laughs> and my my college roommate was, you know, he's a traveling salesman. He's in his car in South Carolina somewhere, and he calls me. He goes, dude, I just heard Reinsdorf piss you during Jordan's news conference. The best. But we used to go live from everywhere. I got kicked out of every arena in the NCAA tournament every year. You know, I yeah. do a live shot up in the stands, get thrown out. Uh, during the Bulls runs, we'd be live where we weren't supposed to be. We'd be when Michael was, you know, young and didn't know any better, we used to grab him and sit him down in a clothes closet and get the quote unquote exclusive interview. You know, there were no rules. We could just, you know, bust into the hotel. We could, if you were enterprising, that's how you got the story. Exactly in right. In Platteville, you went to the, what was the name of that, the, uh, the, that hotel? The, 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 the yes. White one? The White House, the the White Hotel there where the players would stay. Yes. Anyway, I forgot the name. We go up there and we got Fridge reporting, and then it was like, God, you guys, you can't do that. Well, yep. we just did it. Okay, you can't do it anymore. So now, uh, to answer your question, there is zero access now. No. Zero. And I've always said the pandemic has accelerated the inevitable. Exactly. They're going to continue to do Zoom interviews, and that's all you're going to get for a while. Maybe forever. Everything's going to be on a Zoom because all these teams and schools are like, hey, this is easy. We can control the situation. We might let you in a news conference room with a podium and have a coach or a manager and one or two players. That's all you're going to get. I don't think anybody's ever going to be allowed in a locker room again. I don't. I, I told someone that and, today. Yeah. Yeah. So we have total, totally lost any access at all. And it's scary because. Remember, we would stand on the sidelines of Bears games for the entire game mm -hmm. with our camera people who were allowed to shoot the game. Now, no one's allowed. When the game was over, you'd run out on the field yep. and you'd get Tom Waddle throwing up from a concussion right there. You know, you'd get the star of the game. You'd get Owen Cruz swearing at you because, yeah. you know, he's pissed yeah. off that they just lost. And, you know, it was it was the true emotion that you wanted fans to see yes. and now everything's canned and it's rehearsed and it's planned and yep absolutely bad. and i'll tell you this is what i most fear you know sports okay maybe but it's still very dangerous because you know as goofy as i always wanted to be you have to have some journalistic instincts and some credibility and some kind of you know rule book for yourself and you know have some kind of journalistic oath uh, I'm worried that not only will sports reporters be banned and have no accents, access, news people are going to be banned. You see the trend again during the pandemic, one pool camera for a news conference, mm -hmm. um, you know, reporters not allowed on site. Um, so it's going to be teams, leagues and schools just pumping out their own message, their own propaganda, creating their own brand without anybody being allowed to investigate exactly what they're doing. Right. Because journalists, reporters, they're supposed to keep everybody honest. And now, unfortunately, our opinions have been formed by whichever cable news outlet we watch, whether you're far right or far left. Mm -hmm. There's nothing objective down the middle anymore because every news story is tagged with an opinion. Um, so I think people in the business have to try to stay focused and keep pushing and pushing for access because – that's what I worry about. I mean, I'm glad I'm out. I was in the heyday. I was in the golden years. Yeah. But now it's, here's what you get, and that's it. And every 
team has its own media department where they crank out these beautifully produced, you know, features on their players and what the team's doing in the community. And it's all wonderful. Hey, if there's any kind of scandal, forget about it. They're not going to cover it. Exactly right. Uh, You've been so gracious with your time. I really appreciate this. So, so what's next? What are you going to do? Everyone asks me, is Gian Greco going to get back in sports? Is he going to do radio? Is it, what do you think is next for you? And I know it's only been six months for you, but what's next? Yeah. It's actually been like four and a half months. So it's still fresh. Uh, Yeah. It's It's only been 240 (laughs) days, Peg, but who's counting? Yeah, right. No, like I say, I didn't go out on my terms or my timetable, but we worked out a settlement to where basically I got to retire early. Um, and I, I have to tell you, like I said, I'm glad I'm out now. I put 50 years in total, 40 of it in Chicago. And now it's time to do something completely different. I can tell you, I've been so flattered, so humbled and honored to have all kinds of offers from a couple other TV stations, from a couple of radio stations. Uh, naturally to do a podcast, uh, several producers reaching out like, Hey, get a partner and we'll have a tremendous podcast. We can do this and that. Um, I was just approached by a new publication to be their sports columnist. I mean, this is all great stuff to the point where, you know, me, it's like, gosh, if I'm getting these offers, I need to take one. I need to keep going. Yeah. So the other, other like, dude, you're done. Forget about it. So I'm still at the crossroads, Peg. I don't know. What I want to do, it's either nothing. I'm traveling to see all my kids and my best friends nonstop for the next several weekends. The summer's packed with trips and events and, you know, weddings and the 4th of July, high school reunion, college reunion, you know, uh, grandkids. You know, this is all, this is the reward. This is so awesome. And every once in a while, I'll see something on the air and I'll go, damn, I wish I was still working. Just, I got a good line for that. Yeah. I could play with the video on that and pull this out to go with that highlight. I'm, I'm weaning myself off. I've realized that, again, I, I don't need to badmouth it. I really don't. But I don't watch local TV news. Are you kidding? I mean, I, didn't, I never watched it when I was on it. I used to just worry about my sports segment. But, you know, there are other things. Everybody just is involved with streaming video. That's yeah, what it is. I and know. you just watch everything when you feel like it. So, unfortunately... Conventional broadcast television, you know, is a thing of the past. But, you know, hey, I might do a podcast, might do radio, but I'll tell you, I'm finished doing television. Absolutely. Absolutely done. I don't blame you. But, you know, you have entertained all of us for so many years. And I know everyone has told you this, but, you know, from us, from our household that did not watch Channel 5, even though they paid my paycheck. Um, I want to thank you for keeping my family entertained while I was at work. <laughs> so, oh, honestly, hey, uh... Mark, you're like truly the best. And, um, I, you know, future generations can only be so lucky to have a mentor like you that we all had to be able to look forward to and say, God, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. I want to be like that. Um, you're, you're the best, and you always will be in you'll go down as uh, being one of the greatest in Chicago sports history. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. I'll never forget what you did for me. And you've been a great, great friend for 35 years. So, you know, we're going to stay in touch. And we're going to play some golf. And we're going to play golf. And uh, that's my goal is to maintain my close relationships with all the 
people that matter to me in the business because a lot of times you retire, it's gone. Everybody's gone. Everybody says, oh, we'll get together. It never happens. My goal is to stay connected to somebody like you. And again, what you did for me is incomparable. Never be able to repay you. And Jason, by the way, you and I can do our own podcast because you didn't get a word in that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. I know. Thank you, Mark. Thank That's you. Cool. Seriously. Thank you, guys. Take be, care. Be well. Thank okay, you so buddy. much. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. What'd you think? I thought that that was... Number one, really, really insightful to hear about uh, his come up in Chicago. Obviously, just reaffirms everything that you've told me about how the first couple of years in your career are not at all easy, but also it was very enlightening to hear from somebody that says that it can be fun because all that I've heard from anybody who has spoken to our classes from you that I've read online, that I've watched videos of. Everyone loves to talk about how miserable your first few years in sports media are. But it was so enlightening to hear somebody say how it, like how fun it was. It's, he, he, it the, is the fun. quote that stood out the most to me was when Mark Jean Greco said, I worked 365 days in a year, loved every single one of them. Yeah. That's incredible to me yeah. because I'm sitting here caddying and I hate, I hate working back-to-back days. So it's so amazing to me that despite the long hours and the very, very criminally low pay in small markets, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, that their number one is a pathway to finding joy in it and enjoying it. And two, obviously, there is a very, very, very big payoff at the end as long as you work hard, as long as you have your head on your shoulders, and as long as you keep a positive mentality like that, anything can happen, especially in this industry. So really, really great, really fun to hear some of the stories, hear the two of y'all connect. Um, Yeah, that's really all I have to say. You know, it's not about doing it for the money. You do it for the love. And uh, we all worked horrible hours early in our careers, but I would never ever give any of it back my those those late hours I worked at ESPN sometimes 20 hour shifts and they were the best the best you make the best friends you're all in it together it's awesome so hey anyways you guys thank you so much um we don't have any predictions today and no closing thoughts because uh we just chatted with Mark Jean Greco legendary Chicago sports anchor for uh a very long time um, we enjoyed catching up with him. We want to thank all of you for joining us. Thank you to Adam Yaffe for his expertise, as always. Thank you to our sponsors and for our listeners. Jason, we are on the verge of 20,000 listeners. So thank you, everyone. Continue to download, continue to subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple, Podbean, and wherever you get your audio. I hope your cities are open like Chicago is because we are enjoying our freedom. Right, Jason? Yes, ma'am. Happy 19th birthday to myself tomorrow. I knew you wouldn't say anything about it, so I had to say it myself. I was I was going to end by saying happy birthday. Were you? Yeah, oh, I and was. I and I was going to set the table and wash the dishes after dinner tonight. Yeah, we knew that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Neither of them, right? All right. I love you, buddy. Love you more, mom. Happy birthday. Be safe, everyone. Goodbye. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, electrically connecting our world. And by Foot First Podiatry. It's time to get your bunion fixed with Foot First Podiatry's exclusive sclar bunionectomy. No visual scars, no casts, no crutches, no kidding.